Mum was taking us out. Somehow we all squeezed into the Morris Minor. Normally we'd be in the Volvo. Your father's not the only driver in the family, said Mum. Without doubt, there were lots of us to ferry about. A ridiculously stereotypical Catholic family. There were the Irish families and there were the Italian families. Not so many French. When we went away with the O'Reillys, the Bonettis, there were... Surely not. Yes, there were 18 kids. It meant Dad needed a big car, and for him, it was always the Volvo estate. I never saw Mum drive the Volvo. Not ever. By the time we were teenagers, she'd somehow passed a driving test. In those days, probably didn't have to declare that she couldn't see with her left eye. And she had a little black Austin A35. At some point, she let me paint a go-faster flash down the side, using a forgotten tin of metallic silver paint. Later, she drove up and down to Mr Solomon's, the wholesaler in the East End, Commercial Road, in the Morris Minor. It could be a heart-and-mouth journey, the narrow, winding country roads of the 70s, no overtaking lanes, slow going, but the factory seconds would have made it worthwhile. The Volvo was Dad's big perk, the company car. He was a wonderful, confident driver, would slap both hands on the steering wheel, his stylish tan leather driving gloves. As he drove, he tapped away to the radio. Stefan Grappelli, Tom Jones. Dad had rhythm. He'd been a ballroom dancer. He'd been famously light on his feet in amateur dramatics. Would dance down the wicket for an off-drive. When we drove north on a caravan holiday, we had a pub name game. Dad versus family, taking turns on the pub signs as he drove past to count and score the legs on the sign. My turn then, said Dad. Perhaps we didn't notice the left fork up through Petworth. The hen and chickens, Dad chuckled as he totted up his catch of chicken legs. A few minutes later, with suspense in his voice, Dad would say, Ah, the king's arms, minus two, what a shame. Once, however, we were twenty leg points ahead, laughing and laughing as we approached Bognor Regis, homeward bound. Dad was acting forlorn. Hang on, hang on, what's this? The fox and hounds. Is everyone in? Mum asked attempting to shift the car into reverse. The gear clunked into place, and with a jolt, the car surged backwards, colliding with the gatepost. There was an ear-splitting crash, and a cloud of ancient cement dust billowed into the air as the entire red brick pillar crumbled into the street. Our mum had never been a confident driver, but she managed, notwithstanding the childhood accident, in which she had lost the sight of one eye. I never ever heard her complain about her disability. A feature of her bulletproof self-image was that she got on with things, got on with and overcame. The baby's eyes were red and itchy. She was rubbing them, crying, day in, day out. The non-stop racket was driving Josette mad. Josette had listened to the doctor's instructions. 
she watched the nurse gather a single drop of the liquid. It was a little glass bottle with a red border on the label. Burgoyne Pharmaceuticals, extract of cocaine, contains 2% mercuric chloride, 2% cocaine. Apply the drops to the affected eyeball by means of brush attached to cork. Madame, said the doctor, Madame, please read the label attentively. Be careful, just one drop. Oui, 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 yes, I know what to do, I'm not stupid. She would get Bill to read it later. Josette and Bill had eloped to the priest in Noyon. He'd married them immediately, for the was needed a new start, new life. Bonne chance, mes enfants, I bless you as husband and wife. They returned to face Blanche together, but the door being locked, they had gone immediately to live at the stables. Josette had work at the Chateau des Fontaines, scrubbing for the Rothschilds. The family was only there on racing weekends, but Josette had to keep the place spotless at all times, laundry duties, washing out toilet cans. Sometimes Bill came to help her at work. As he looked at one of the girls, she watched him, and that evening she waved her peeling knife. You look at her again, I'll slice it off. But now Josette's head ached, yes, from the crying baby. But it was more than that. It was like her brain, her nose were swollen and blocked. It couldn't be helped. Something had to be done. At the surgery, she had been given no anaesthetic and, oh God, stop. It was some kind of hammer operation, bluntly smashing out the blockage. She couldn't believe it, looking down the dirty bucket, blood gushing like a river. At the stables, she was unsurprisingly short-tempered. Don't look at me, un vrai boucher. What a butcher. Don't look at me, I look like a boar. And still the baby kept crying. What's wrong with her? What's happening with her eye? said Josette. Bill picked up the little bottle of eye drops. Carefully, slowly, he gathered a tiny drop of liquid on the little brush. With the pain in her head, Josette was at the end of her rope. Mon Dieu, you're useless. It's always me. Give me that. She squirted a long spray of the eye drops into Helene's eye. The baby jerked violently and a scream pierced the village. It wasn't good. The baby was at the convent again after days of screaming from pain. As for the eye man... He might be Hungarian, she had told Bill. Is he even a doctor? We wouldn't need him at all if he'd been a better mother. There was a deathly silence, and she froze, white with anger. In Paris, the maybe doctor sounded haughty. She cannot see from the left eye. Come again next week. Je ne peux pas. I cannot, it's too much, your fees, the train tickets. Well, anyway, she will never see again from that eye. With your poison, you have blinded your own daughter. She walked up and slapped him. On the train back to Gouvieux, the baby slept. The night was drawing in and she could see herself reflected in the train window. 
There were dark shadows under her eyes. So careless, so stupid. Her father came into her mind, and she remembered his letter from camp. Send Sainte Thérèse an offering from me. The little flower, the Carmelites. With a wrench of guilt, she realized she had not sent an offering. But when he'd been killed, she had only been eight years old. Yes, she would take the baby to the convent, take pressed flowers, a pilgrimage. She would give thanks for a lifetime, because she knew it. She knew in her soul there would be a miracle. Meme was terrified when Bill raced. She always said she couldn't watch. Thundering jumps, the massive beasts. At the start, he was mostly a workout rider, a stable hand. But she called him my jockey. Mon jockey? Is that French or Meme Franglais? She would have liked to see Lancashire, her runaway Lancashire lad. She talked about how he loved George Formby, who'd been a boy jockey before he was a big star. I bet Meme wouldn't have picked up on all the saucy lyrics. When I'm cleaning windows. Actually, I don't know the words either. We have no story of her wedding. An elopement. She would have insisted on a priest. Meme's only jewellery was her wedding ring and a replacement engagement ring. Blue sapphire, as bought in Samuels on the high street. Pretty cheap shop. And that curly gold brooch, remember? String of pearls. No time today. When I try to date this snippet of memory, I'm standing outside the television rental shop, peering in from the street to watch the football on a small colour TV playing in the shop window. Next door was the Oxfam shop, all second-hand, a charity shop. They were different back then, not at all trendy, distinctively smelly, every trip a musty memory of dust and mothballs. Bogner Regis was an old person's town on the English south coast. The local saying was average age deceased and a typical thrift shop was continually supplied from pensioners' house clearances. Our mum, Helene, couldn't resist a bargain. She couldn't afford not to, with so many mouths to feed. Meme Josette, however, had too much pride and wouldn't go in, would rather do without. As for our dad, Aubrey, he wouldn't even walk past one in case someone got the wrong idea that he was renting a television or buying second-hand clothes. It wasn't the wrong idea, of course. We kids were dressed top to toe from the thrift shop by mum, recycling before the word was invented. Dead man's shoes, stiff and crunchy, dried out leather, they were the worst. Mum would pretend they were unused, handed down from some distant relative. No way. Try this on, she would say. A heavy, musty, brown tweed jacket, sleeves down to my fingertips. You can grow into it. Sometimes Mum ran a charity shop herself, did a big collection of donations, and opened for a week in rent-free premises. Dad would go bonkers, would almost move out. 
Mum's shop would be linked to church somehow, third world famine or blindness in African kids. Ironically, I remember that one fundraiser was for refugees. I forget which country. Was it Uganda? As in Uganda, the shop kept no accounts, paid no tax, and there were sundries everywhere. My suspicious mind, I suppose. I actually enjoyed it. I was always appointed mum's right-hand man and would paint the big shop signs, red and black, 70s block font. I painted in groovy shadow lines to make them 3D. Mum sifted through the goodies before the grand opening. The work I put in, they won't begrudge me an old tennis racket. That's brand new, Mum. Look, a sticker from Lily White's. Rubbish. If it was new, they wouldn't have donated it. By the end of the week, it was a right jumble sale. Mum would put a few things aside. That's still in its wrapping. Looks brand new. Why would they throw that out? They didn't, Mum. They donated it to the blind kids. At some point, we would be back to the Oxfam shop. One of us would need school shoes. Our mum would get Memer to take us. Maman, you take them. Make sure you get them half a size too big to grow into. Josette was distracted and forgot to put the thick rags over the trestles for the drip dry. Elvina saw it happening and yelled out, No, Josette! It was too late. They both looked at the long rust marks on the chateau's sheets. What a disaster. Elvina sat her down and talked to her. She is the most beloved of saints. Thousands take their sick children to Lucieux. We'll get a letter for you from Mother Abbess. You write it all down for Bill, said Josette. She was becoming hopeful, though. Not least because Bill had been inconsolable. He'd been staying late each night at the stables, eating handfuls of horse peanuts. And so they left for Normandy. Bill carried baby Helene with a patch over her eye. The three of them trudged across northern Paris through the overwhelming mass of people, cars, carts. Gare Saint-Lazare was a monumental railway station, but Josette dismissed the fancy-looking facade with just a nod. Inside, however, she felt dwarfed by the vast glass and iron canopy. Steam and smoke swirled all around them. It was like being in a cathedral. Bill started to talk. This was all for the Paris exhibition. The American ships... Ca she cut him off. Find number 18. At the departure platform, the newspaper vendor was loud. Paris soir, Paris soir, Adolf Hitler elected chancellor. After a few hours, the landscape became greener. Baby Helene was quiet now, and Josette found herself enjoying the Normandy hills. There were apple orchards and dairy farms. Yes, thought Josette, I would like this. At Lisieux there were crowds. Josette could see many sick and crippled children. Bill spent 20 centimes to buy a little book from which he read aloud. For 800 years... Oh, bof, said Josette. Get going. 
Hundred Years' War, Josette couldn't care less. At the sanctuary, they found the visitor's door. In the stone-flagged courtyard, they found sisters working on fruit trees. A young girl novice was struggling under a bale of straw. Seeing them, and with Helene's eye patch so apparent, the trainee nun knelt down. I will pray for you, little one. The baby now turned her face towards the young sister, who jerked back and stood up quickly. In the chapel, it was cool and peaceful. In the dark, a dozen families were quietly praying, weeping. Under a plaster figurine, Josette saw a teary woman place a slip of paper into an altar basket. She walked across and flicked her hand, dismissing the woman. She laid the posy of Chantilly flowers on the altar, placed their letter of prayer in the basket. Dry-eyed, she mouthed across to Bill, Une votive. There were already about thirty candles burning in the stand. In the morning, Chazette was awake before dawn. This was the big day. She was impatient, and together they removed the grubby eye patch. For Josette, the journey back seemed slow. Her lips were closed. There was nothing to say. What a waste of time. She would stamp out any other stupid ideas. Life was not for dreaming. She even wondered if God ever helped, but that made her feel even more guilty. Bill opened the train window for some fresh air. Fermila, just close it, she hissed. As the train pulled back in at Chantilly-Gouvier, she looked over at the Dejean stall. For a sweet shop, it looked joyless. The next morning, she went back to work at the laundry. Look, Josette, said Elvina. The monogrammed sheets were hanging there on the padded trestles. There was not a mark on them. Elvina's eyes sparkled. Epsom salts, a miracle Mene only ever wanted to stay quietly at home, like a monk in her garden. She had some nice plants. Many would have been taken from any empty property she passed. She had no conscience about doing that, didn't see it as stealing. In fact, she was honest to the core, wouldn't have stolen a penny from anyone. But plants from an empty property, well, they don't belong to anyone, do they? When mum and dad came here, when they left, the car was laden with stuff they'd purloined from our garden. Canes, string, plants. Jim goes nuts. Mum has always seen our home as an extension of hers. Since they helped us out financially at the beginning, she believes it's all hers. She doesn't let you forget, does she? Another thing, anything private gets read. Meme's different, less interest in people's private affairs in that way. Mum was always willing to snoop through desks, dressing tables, anywhere she might find a smidgen of information. I think it was all about control. In other people's homes, hugely risky, scary for me when I was with her. She doesn't listen when you tell her not to be doing it. She's not a bit bothered. Snoopy. 
Those few years before I got away and we got married, it was all so intrusive. Talk later, Maddie. Sabine. Remy, did you drop off your cargo? Elvina's voice echoed from her room above the bookshop. At some point in the early 30s, she'd moved from running the village laundry into the heart of Paris to her grandfather's bookshop. Remy was no stranger to assisting Elvina at the Enigme Noir. Their regular load, there was some kind of military drill going on in the Jardin des Plantes at the zoo. Remy's room was little more than a box room, so he often slept aboard the Gilly, his ramshackle canal boat. From Solis, Chantilly, down to Notre-Dame, Remy knew every waterway. The narrow staircase creaked as Elvina descended. Please get the oil. Crank up the printing press. We need notices. Inside the bookshop, it was dimly lit. The shelves were packed with exotic titles on tarot and magic, and the air was thick with incense. Tonight was Elvina's women's gathering. Remy unpacked the provisions and began to prepare the was food that he'd brought from Précy. Country loaves, jars of potted meats. Remy looked across the bookshelves. Elvina, is this place actually yours now, or is it still your mother's? Ah, she's happy to let me run things, said Elvina. At her age, she puts her feet up on Rue Bonaparte, natters to the concierge. I thought she was a gypsy, said Remy. So many books. Me, I prefer an outdoors life. Some action. You'll get plenty of action tonight. My women's groups never disappoint. When a dozen women were gathered, he brought out the rillette with salad leaves from the farm. This latest agreement is appalling. There are already so many people on the move. Remy looked up. What do you mean? What agreement? You should pay more attention, young man. Surely you've seen the demonstrations. Ah, Remy nodded. You mean Germany? You mean Hitler? Of course I do. The Munich Pact has granted territory to appease Hitler. Once again, the question of Germany dominates our future. Elvina spoke up. It's the same for my mother's people. The Romani are being driven out. The families are moving west in search of safety. The bell rang above the door of the bookshop, and into the glow surged a beautiful woman, short-haired, smiling. She had a package tucked under her arm. Comrades, I have arrived. Let us begin. Here, I have a picture, a gypsy theme for you. Elvina unwrapped the package to find a colourful painting formed on rough brown paper. It was of an owl amidst a tangle of branches. André is coming here. A speech about his socialist utopia, said Elvina. Our message needs to be heard, and it seems that your print shop holds the key. Remy accidentally dropped a plate with a clatter. War, again. There was a jangle of the doorbell, and the women looked up as one. The man briefly scanned the room and 
settled his gaze directly on Remy. Yes, again. Remy felt a shiver. Our mission is clear. We must confront the enemy. We must fight this Nazi aggression. Remy's eyes sparkled. Matt, why are you writing about the phone calls and that? Again, that was more mum than Menere. Menere refused anything to do with the phone. And it was more dad than anyone else opening the post, ripping the envelopes into tiny pieces. An air of not wanting anything to do with that. Let's do him another time. Aubrey the showman, chef's hat dad, tippler, raconteur. You are going to change all the names, aren't you? I'm thinking we shouldn't even be writing this. My Edward will be horrified. He's so private. And how do you know Mum won't get to hear about it? She finds out everything. As the months passed, he kept his head down. One morning, Mr B came across. Young Bill, call yourself senior now. Here you go. He handed him a folded wad of paper money. Bachelor had given him a full briefing as the stallion was loaded for Cherbourg. Listen, Bill, it can be dangerous. They don't like it in there. It's noisy. They're on a short rein and their face is too close to the wall. They'll stress, they'll kick. Watch him all the time. And Bill, watch the carriage doors. They're like a guillotine. They'll take your bloody arm off. Loading the animal, it had been pretty chaotic. The young stallion had been easily spooked. The heavy train doors swung open. There was a scrape and a click of metal on metal. Bill was bone tired as he surveyed the carriage. It had been a 12 hour journey. The reek of piss-soaked straw was choking in the dark compartment and the tethered stallion was tetchy and wild-eyed. Standing there on the wooden ramp, holding the horse's bridle, although his eyes were heavy and half-closed, he found himself once again stewing over his fight with Josette. He'd been so excited. Mr B had told them all, Eyes up! The big owner's coming! For thirty years, Monsieur V had been winning the big ones. Grand course, prix du président. Bill had kept his mouth shut as the big men talked. The season's gossip, the prix du jockey club, the 38 field. Bachelor beckoned Bill over. You'll learn the ropes, son. You're going to be travelling lad. Travelling lad? He's sold. You'll take him to Cherbourg and you'll put him on the ship to England. Why's that, boss? When he's young, he's proven, and he's intact. Still got his knackers. Bill had gone back to their rooms to tell Josette. He was so excited, with his jockey dreams fading. This was a big chance. Assistant to Mr B, then, one day, trainer. Josette, it's a stepping stone. I'll only be away for a week. It's more work, you mean? she said. She had no faith in hopes and dreams. They needed to get ahead, get their own home, a farm. 
She wanted to be like Tati Alice, get some goats, a cow, some vegetables to sell. It's time you got a raise. He takes you for granted. It's a promotion, replied Bill. I can become a trainer. Pah! Josette was dismissive. Doesn't sound like training. Sounds like horse sex. Of course, Bill had known she might not be impressed, would see problems. Well, at least the horse is getting some sex. She turned on him instantly, eyes ablaze. She was shaking now. Raising her finger to his face, she could hardly get the words out. You don't know anything. He had chewed over this fight all day. He loved Josette. They should be happy. Feisty as she was, his little French wife loved to be courted, romanced. But as to the other thing, she seemed to go to a different place when they were together. Detached, tense. At the train carriage, standing on the footgrips of the wooden ramp, holding the dirty rake for the shit and straw, Bill just shook his head. He was unaware that the catch on the carriage door had not fully taken. Under its full 600-pound weight, the heavy metal slab was slowly swinging shut. The cold, blunt steel closed over Bill's thumb.